As the Christmas season draws to a close in our liturgical calendar, we notice in our various nativity scenes that the Magi have arrived on the edges of that scene, as they have here in our chapel. We still seem to be missing two cameras. (laughs) One of the more interesting scenarios that I see in the city of Chicago is the outdoor nativity scene at this time of the year at the Lakeshore campus of Loyola University. I drive by there on a pretty regular basis on my way back and forth to where I live just north of Loyola. At the beginning of Advent, when the nativity scene appears, three magi and their respective camels are set off quite a bit to the east of the stable that is placed there. And gradually, over the next few weeks, they move ever closer to the large manger where the Holy Family is housed. This morning they have arrived. I've always been slightly intrigued and have noticed that each of these large, that size, large sculptures is anchored by a chain to a cement block. I assume to prevent them from being stolen. A subtle but obvious commentary on our society. The irony is perhaps a little bit more obvious to the scripture student in all of us as we listen to Matthew's gospel. The journey to the divine light needs protection against the darkness of human power. This contrast found in Matthew's gospel today balances in a way the first part of the story which captures our imagination. Visitors from a distant land, followed by a heavenly star, bearing precious gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Though I recall several years ago a grade one student reported this story back to me and said that they were carrying gifts of gold, common sense, and fur. (laughs) The arrival of such royal persons at the humble birthplace of a child is the stuff of great storytelling, and Matthew does it so well. The prophecy of Isaiah has come to pass. The plan of God's salvation unfolds for all of the nations, as we read in our first reading, even those from distant places and for those who are not originally envisioned by the Jewish scriptures. But this story, then, has a darker element. The evil intent of Herod is obvious, and his oppression is historically known. But this evil intent is once again subverted by the intervention of God. The power of darkness is overcome 
and the light of the world rises above the threat of violence. The words of the first reading come to pass. Rise up in splendor, Jerusalem, your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. The vision and the promise of God's astonishing and all-encompassing love for all peoples is in sharp contrast with the other world view symbolized by Herod, a contrast that's just as prevalent in our world today. This is the worldview that says that power, even by means of violence and persecution, are necessary in order that some may rule in glory while others are subjected to all manner of oppression. And although there has been much debate about this account that's found only in Matthew's Gospel, questions about how many visitors were there, what was their occupation, where did they come from, and what about this cosmic phenomenon of the star, was that a coincidence or was that God playing with God's creation? But every year we proclaim this text and cannot but hear it in light of our own contemporary experience. We know of families who fear for their children. We know of laws that threaten travelers and immigrants and refugees, like Mary and Joseph who had to flee to Egypt. We know of unjust regimes that oppress those who are vulnerable and those who are discarded. But we are bold, and we must tell this story because it is also a story of great hope. The mission of all of us is to continue to find ways to proclaim the saving message of God's mercy and justice and compassion wherever love is needed more. Our worldview is that all people are fundamentally united by the power of God's love and the beauty of God's creation. The proclamation of this gospel is a measure of our faith in the goodness that we believe is possible and the goodness that is at the heart of God's world. For the past two years, in my homily for this Feast of Epiphany, I have quoted from the most recently released Star Wars movie. And having seen The Last Jedi, have you seen that yet? Right. Having seen The Last Jedi a few days ago, this line comes to mind as a summary of the two worldviews that I have mentioned and which are at the center, actually, of every Star Wars episode. And it came from one of the wise persons who is on the good side in the movie. And this person said, You do not win by killing what you hate, but by loving what you have. You do not win by killing what you hate, but by loving what you have.
If the overall gift of Christ, as Isaiah foretold, is to be the light for the world, for the nations, then that light is no longer some mysterious star, but an amazing energy that dwells within each of us, and that is manifest in every word, every gesture, and every action that casts a light and pushes back the darkness. Maybe we don't have gold, frankincense, or myrrh. Maybe we can't stand up to every cruelty. Maybe we can't topple every tyrant in the world today. But maybe we can still make a difference in the lives of God's people who need some measure of joy, a gesture of affection, and a ray of hope from the radiance that is our faith.